Hi, and welcome to episode six of the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this week's episode, I chat with my co-host and internationally recognized concert saxophonist, Susan Fancher, and we chat about practicing and overcoming obstacles in our practice and give you some cool practice hacks. We also chat about neck straps, how there are so many on the market and which ones you might want to take a look at. I talk about one of my favorite classical recordings of all time, and we also answer the question, should you or your student major in music? And if you have a question for us, please do reach out on social media or email me, Wally, at GateCitySax.com. No, I, I'm, 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 in a, point. I'm in a new sincerity diet where I'm only... Are you, you're only going to say sincere things? Well, no. this isn't going to be fun <laughs> yeah, at all, then. I know, I can't do it. <laughs> Sue? Wally? It is gorgeous outside. I know, it's a beautiful day. It is a spring day. It is 65 degrees yeah. and sunny. Yeah. April has apriled. Sprung. Yes. Yeah. And yesterday we had snow and hail. No kidding. And it's it no joke. For real. So, yes. Yeah. We're in a good mood because it's sunny. It's gorgeous. Nothing's flooded. And <laughs> how has your week been? We've wow, got, we've I got had a great news. week. You yeah. premiered Scott Lindroth's piece for yeah. Soprano Saxophone and the Chompy String Quartet. Yes, it's a great piece. It's called Sly Road. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. I'm super excited about it. The audience reaction was great. People said to me during the intermission, because it was the last piece before intermission, mm-hmm. I went and I went to listen to the second half, because the second half was the Dvorak American oh. string quartet, which is one of my favorite I pieces. Love that piece. Yeah. Have so you anyway, heard, um, there's a couple of saxophone arrangements. Yes. And as soon as I was to ask you, I forgot the name of the quartet. There's a French quartet that has a marvelous recording yeah. that I can't think of. Yeah, me either. I've played it. Have you? Yeah, Steve Rosenthal, the Amherst Saxophone Quartet, made uh-huh. an arrangement when I was a member there, and we played it several times. It's great. I, I mean, it's... It. What, let's talk about the... It's uh, better on strings, but it's a gas to play. I mean, it's great music, yeah, so yeah. it works on saxophone. It's not as great. Well, I can't afford a good violin, so let's keep it on saxophone. Well, yeah. So I how did the, the Lindroth? Well, the Lindroth went yeah. great, and people in the intermission said, oh, I could listen to it again right now. Aww. And the, the tempo marking, um, well, below the tempo marking, it says joyous and buoyant, and it is. And here's the reason I'm really excited about the piece, Wally. Okay. Because, so I love Scott Lindroth's music. and He doesn't listen. You don't have to say that. Okay. I still love it. Still, even okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that good. But my experience has been, and oh boy, I'm going to offend somebody. Oh, well. Um, in my lifetime, I've commissioned so many new pieces. And sometimes it has happened that somebody's music, who I just absolutely love, then writes a piece for saxophone. But instead of writing their music for saxophone, they write a saxophone piece. And oh, you know no. exactly what I mean, yep. right? And it's like ugly. And it's like... Bandy, and again, I don't mean to offend, but it's just like wasn't their music. It was like, well, this is what I imagine the saxophone, the saxophone could yeah. play. Oh, I listen and so to the I'm popular so excited. pieces. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. Scott Lindroth wrote a piece that's his music, and it's gorgeous use of the soprano saxophone. There, you know, this might be disappointing to some people. There are no slap tongues. What? There's no circular breathing what? required. You don't have to play a bunch of screeching altissimo. What? He didn't ask me to play five Ps on a low B or anything crazy like that. There's places to breathe. There are even places to turn the pages. What was he thinking? Was he just trying to write music or something? Well, yeah, something like that. So anyway, it's great, and it's a beautiful piece. So I had a wonderful time. Of course, any time as a saxophone player, I don't know, any time I get to play with strings, Mm -hmm. I'm just thrilled, and I... I, maybe that doesn't sound right either. That I should be that no, thrilled about playing with the string it's players, fun. but it's challenging too because it, you know they are really particular about things that we sometimes let go, and so it, it pulls you up to play with I, really I, great I've players. I've heard a you know string I mean? quartet, and they um, before they started playing, they each like would play a note, and then each player would try to match that note. They called it like um, tur- tuning. Hmm, never heard of it. Yeah, well, they, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Like string. <laughs> yeah, they were really fussy about the yeah. tuning and also the balance, which of course we worry about too. And as, here's the awesome thing about the piece. Another awesome thing about the piece that at one point, you know, I have this big soaring melody, and I was just playing it full out, man, full out as loud as I could play it with with a beautiful sound, just all the way. And I said to them when we finished, I said, "Listen, now I was playing." full out and I don't have to do that I can play a lot softer and they were like no it's awesome and I was so excited I got to play loud (laughs) with the string quartet with the chompy string quartet yeah because the way the writing was I mean there was no trouble with the balance at all so ha to those people who think a saxophone can't balance with strings we can yeah (laughs) and kudos to Lindroth 
Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, he was, of course, super nervous before the premiere, as a composer is always going to be, but he was just giddy during the intermission, so that was super fun, too. I imagine that it's stressful, like, when it's just oh, geez. out of your hands. Yeah, right? Exactly. Zero control. <laughs> and it's also you. If you're, the, you know, if you're the performer, of course, I think we take a lot of responsibility for the repertoire we choose. Right. You know, we have to, we have to own it, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, if somebody doesn't like the piece, well, I didn't write it. I was just doing my best to play it, right? I mean, we have a little bit of right, like right, distance, right. but a composer, it's like, geez, I really hated your piece. It's like, it's like you attack them personally, right? Wait, and you kind yeah. of are. Because <laughs> you are, yeah. It's like taking like a singer, you don't like their tone. Like, yeah. well, that's, you're, you're well, you tell somebody their, their kid is ugly yeah. or stupid or something. I mean, that's a personal affront, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's your baby. Or it should be. Yeah, like, <laughs> it should be. Well, it's it, never happened to either of us, of course. So, no, you know. because we have Because we have our children. children are the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, they are, actually. I said, no, Gerber, you leave my kids alone. They will not be the new face of your business. There you go. Anyway, so, so that was super fun. And you also had, um, I want to give a big shout out um, to the Dusk Saxophone Quartet. Yes. Um, Sue and I had coffee. We live good lives. Because not do. only are we sitting here on this beautiful day talking about saxophone, yeah. we met earlier in the week to enjoy a cup of coffee and talk yeah. about saxophone stuff. Just which catch some, up on stuff. Some cool announcements we'll have for next month. Yeah. That we'll talk about. It's a secret right now. Secret right talk. now, but we're very excited about some big plans yeah. for the Saxophone Academy podcast. But you were telling me, bragging on the Dusk Saxophone Quartet, your yeah. students, that they're not music majors. No. But on their own initiative, they put together a full program and yeah. play the recital with their own arrangements. Yeah, it was great. So they wanted to do, three of them are graduating. So three of the four in this Duke University Saxophone Quartet are graduating this year. And so they just, they have a great group and they wanted to do a full recital. Not required at all. All they're required to do in the chamber music course at Duke right. is play 10 minutes on a chamber music recital at the end of the semester. But they've done all kinds of performing this semester. They went to the Region 7 NASA conference and right. played. Anyway, so they asked if they could do a full recital. I wasn't sure because no group had ever asked to do that before. So I talked to people at Duke. They're like, yeah, sure. You know, if we have time in the hall, sure. Because it's yeah. a non-required recital, right? Right. And so they played the Overture to Candide I and they played it. a piece called O'Hare, which is a, an original composition by Glenn Huang, who's the tenor player in the group. Oh. Yeah. And then they played three movements from Mark Mellet's very new piece, X. Mahina, I guess is how you would okay. say it, which right, is right, right. really cool. cool and then piece. after intermission, they did four arrangements, again by Glenn Hoang, um, of pop tunes. So they did uh, Rather Be and It Ain't Me and Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen's beautiful Hallelujah, oh, and yeah. then uh, Journeys Don't Stop Believing, which was really cool. Well received. And a bunch of their, yeah, a bunch of their friends came to the recital and they just said, oh, this was the best thing ever because, right. you know, I mean, it was just Fun. It was fun. Which is what it we should be doing. It was fun. And these guys, they really went for it. I was so proud of them. And, uh, you know, they just so much enthusiasm. And sometimes it was overblown. And sometimes it was a little out of tune. Right. But I would way rather have that than super careful, in tune, and no music. There was so much heart and soul and music happening that. on that stage. I just loved it. I think I had a smile from, you know, oh, ear to ear the, the entire... The proud teacher. Yeah, the entire I recital. It was just fun. And there were a lot of times when it was in tune and sounded great, too, by See? the way. <laughs> <laughs> and they're getting a good education, and they get to work. Yeah, yeah. So Kudos fun. to the Dusk. So fun. Saxophone yeah. Quartet, the Yay. Duke University Saxophone Quartet, or the Dusk Quartet. Dusk, I love it. Right? Uh, which I think they need to pass that name on down to the, the think, next generation. I think that's what happens. Yeah. Yep. Well, congratulations, you guys. Kudos. I heard Yay. Sue was just gushing on you guys, and I was excited oh. to hear about that. So we also have um, industry news. Industry news. Industry news. The big industry news is. Um, oh, I saw it in the wild. I saw it. The pink gold. <laughs> we, I promise at some point, dear listener, we will shut up about this. I, I saw it in the wild. I saw someone in the practice room with it, and I saw it on the shelf of a music store. Yeah. Uh, it's out there, man. And it is not cheap. Um, oh. But you did a blindfold test. I did. Okay. So today I did a test just this morning on the alto saxophone. Right. And I compared the, I think it's the, the gold finish MO uh -huh. and the new pink gold finish mo and i went back and forth same read same mouthpiece same music same licks and everything yeah and the thing is that if you have the gold one gold lacquer yeah the gold lacquer gold one lacquer. yeah if you have it um david gould's not listening right i don't know who that is 
he is my Danzer guy, my Van Doren guy. Well, I'm calling him now. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, the truth is you should, if you don't have an MO ligature, you should go get one. And They're it great. doesn't matter which finish you get. But the truth is if you have the gold, in my opinion, if you yeah. have the gold one, it's not really worth paying the money to get the pink gold one. Don't tell David I said that. I will but not it, say that. But if you don't have one and you're going to get one, get the pink gold one because it's Awesome. It so does, they're all yeah. awesome. But here's the here's what I think, and who knows? And what do these words mean, one player to the other? Who knows? But the pink gold one has a slightly darker sound. Uh, it's got a little tiny bit less of the high. Okay. Frequencies is what I found this morning in the ten minutes that I was trying right, this right, back right. and forth. But you know, of course, this is personal Perceived preference. What by do the you? Player as well. What do you prefer? What, right. How do you perceive it? Who knows what a listener would have thought? Right. Um, they both respond great. For me, there was no difference in the response because the mo ligature is just great. Period. It's good, and I had a good read. So yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't spoil myself. I should stop playing on that read. I should play on crappy reads instead. <laughs> I think I think you should rotate. I think <laughs> well, we've I talked do. about this. I do, yeah. Wally. But good. for this test, I was using a good read. Anyway, the pink gold was great. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, speaking of read Very rotation, silky. I, I've we have converted a couple people on our read well, regime. I've had a couple emails good. in that people are like, "Oh my goodness, you're right. My reads play well. I, I'm going to quit." Cursing Van Doren, quit cursing Daddario. Thank or you. Daddario, as I will continue to call Diodario. them. Daddario. Because Beverly <laughs> D'Angelo agrees with me. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so I've heard good people. So, yeah, because if you have a bunch of reads that are broken in, then you yeah. always have a read. You and can then, stop crabbing about reads and get on with it. And then your pink gold ligature will sound all the Oh, my gosh, right? So I was looking at industry new, new stuff. Okay. Even newer than the pink gold. And I had a friend <laughs> of mine, um, Dr. Benjamin Crouch, who uh, teaches college. He's a saxophonist, super good dude. Uh, who wondering if I knew anything about Dante straps, their neck straps huh. um, that are handcrafted performance straps. They come in a multitude of colors and they match some Theowani mouthpieces and come bundled. They're chic handcrafted neck straps for exceptional player. So I logged right out because I'm, <laughs> I'm average at best. Birth from the idea of developing Ooh, a bold, a elegant strap that has great support and pleasing to the eye of the saxophonist around the world. Dante neck straps are comfortable, relieving stress from the neck, back, embodying timeless form and function. Dante neck straps will elevate your artistic lifestyle. Featured artist Dave Cause, yada, yada, yada. Now, I was going to think, all right, well, maybe I'll take a look or whatever. But then I got to thinking, I want to talk about Legos for a second. <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. Okay, so here's, here's where I'm going. <laughs> when we were kids... And even not that long ago, yeah. we loved Legos. You buy Legos, yeah. and they came in a handful of primary colors. Yeah. They were in like four or five shapes and sizes. And they had those fancy roofing tiles. Remember yeah. those? A couple of those. Yeah. The, the slant. And that it, was the fancy thing. so you thing. could build rectangular stacks that were tall, yep. some less tall, some more tall of rectangular stacks of of primary colors. And if you wanted to do something fancy, you had to figure out how yeah. to do it with and blocks. With blocks and your creativity. And maybe you had the set that came with the wheels on a block so you could oh, make yeah. a large rectangle that would roll. You know? I had and that. And then I would yeah. take two of the blocks out and then put my G.I. Joe action figures in. Yeah. And there that's where, and we were creative and we did that. And when you stepped on them, it hurt like all oh, holy hell. Of course it's Well, nowadays, hard. if you go to Walmart or Target or a toy store, if those still exist, and you look at the Lego <laughs> aisle, you can't find these. You find Harry Potter sets. You yep. find uh, Star Wars yep. sets. You find Batman sets. And my son, for his birthday, wanted a Batman set. Um, and I looked at the box. I was like, AJ is nine and up for Legos? I'm getting the That's boy crazy. some Legos. So we did. We got the Batman Batmobile Lego set. Well, between my wife and I, we've got <laughs> half a dozen college degrees. I know exactly She's where you're going with this, She's literally saving lives, <laughs> and I'm a reasonably intelligent person. And or so you thought before so you tried to put an together. Hour and a half, an hour and a half, and I, I promise, dear listener, I'm going somewhere with this. An hour and a half later, we don't have a Batmobile. My son is born and left, and there's little parts and pieces that my daughter are trying to get. And you can't just build something. You have to follow the instructions. And later, I stepped on a piece, and it didn't hurt because it was small and curved and, and flexible. It sunk great right into and the I rug. Thought, what happened to Legos? Why are they so complicated? Why are there so many sets? What happened to just the simplicity of blocks that fit on blocks? And I can make a castle and use my imagination and keep the G.I. Joes from taking over the Stormtrooper action figures. And what happened to that? Why is it so complex? Why are there so many? Why are they so expensive? When really, I just want to put blocks on top of blocks. They should stack together. 
And I thought, that's what's happened to saxophone neck straps. <laughs> I see where you went with this. And Wally. I thought, like, you can't just, like, what's neck strap to use? What's it, what the hell do you mean with neck strap do I use? The one that goes around my neck and it clips onto the saxophone. Maybe it's fancy and has a locking, you know, little yeah, clip. Yeah, right. Or maybe it's black. Maybe it's white leather. Woo-hoo. And that's where it got. And I thought, like, not only is there this new Dante strap... <laughs> I started thinking, how many new straps are there? And there's, if you Google saxophone neck strap review on YouTube, you'll get people talking, you know, in-depth, 16-minute reviews. And some of them are good. And I do appreciate people sure. going into so much depth. At the same time, I have to confess, I just don't care. Um, <laughs> and I was looking at these straps. So I was thinking, all right, what are some of the the big suspects out there? I'm seeing a lot of the um, the Jazz Lab sax holder. Remember this guy, the one oh, looks like um, Dr. Yeah. Octopus um, tentacle oh, constructions. Right. Yeah, the thing that's like these, these, yeah, this these hook. Moldable goes... two metal hooks that go over your thing. Yeah, I know um, people who play on those. I, I know lots of people, yeah. really fine players. Because um, they don't want this thing right on their neck. Put your sax yeah. on your shoulders. It transfers yeah. the entire weight of the instrument from both shoulders to the str- and no stress on the neck. Give me a plate with one hand. It's, it's got made this for weird men. thing that like. It hits, hits your, you like your, your belly. diaphragm I don't or your really belly. Like that, yeah. yeah, and it's made for men and women, which just yeah. means the you know they understand that women have different anatomy and the pressure should be you know. Now I would say men have different anatomy, but never mind. Well, different anatomy for me, <laughs> my perspective, which is exactly yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, but but it's not comfortable to have, have something pushing on your belly. Haven't been denied the Y chromosome. <laughs> no. Yeah, of Sorry course. For just you, different. Wally. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, and I hear people yeah. that love it. It yeah, looks yeah. weird. It says yeah. it... Um, it looks weird, yeah. It's but the people, saves space. It's yeah. smaller than a sheet of paper when folded. I think they mean shorter than a piece of paper. I don't think <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's smaller. Smaller. I'm not a physicist, no. but I'm going to disagree with sex holder there. They got a picture. <laughs> now, it will make it cool because the picture, and I'll put a link in the show notes, has a young woman she wearing looks cool. a fedora, a tank oh top, gosh. and a blue mouthpiece, and she looks she like... she got a blue mouthpiece? I'm cool, and I think it's blue. I just will never be that cool. Yeah, actually, men are not as good at, apparently, color recognition. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, our rods and cones aren't true? as defined. I believe that's an oh, anatomical geez. difference. Okay. So you would have to tell me if it's blue. And also, I'm just dumb. <laughs> but, you know, and and it looks cool. And I hear it works. I have friends that we have yeah. friends in common that play it. Love it. Yeah, cool. Um, and that thing is $43. Highly okay. recommended. It's not terrible. There's yeah. a, a newer Van Doren saxophone support system harness that has shoulder straps. The big, I'm going to, I know you're a Van Doren artist. I hate yeah. the V pulley. <laughs> I, I think it's gaudy. I think it's tacky. I think Van Doren is... You know it's functional, right? Because it holds the the little uh, stringy okay. things a little farther apart, so you're not yeah. compressing your... Yeah, I'll believe that okay. when the, the Prada yeah. tag on a handbag okay. is functional. <laughs> and it's got a belt goes around. You know, I, I don't doubt this is comfortable, and it's fine. It's A hard, belt going around? It's $150. Yeah, that's expensive. I think it's expensive. I'm sure it's awesome. And then we have some friends that now are um, going crazy over this breathtaking oh, yeah. strap. Yep. Um, the saxophone strap was created by saxophones who suffered from problems caused by long hours of practice. This is called the breathtaking. Maybe they um, should just get a light. Oh, sorry. Problems include <laughs> herniated disc in the neck, tendonitis, oh, yeah. severe stiffness of the neck. That would probably go hand in hand with the uh, the ruptured tendons. Yeah. Um, shoulders in the back, fever and fatigue. Whoa. I, Take a break. No, I'm not. A, I'm not a doctor, but I'm not sure your neck strap is causing a fever. Maybe oh. your love of the hot jazz licks. You got a <laughs> Maybe. fever. I just, you know, fever. okay. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know about that. But anyway, so it goes wow. around the neck. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's got this little like trapeze bar in the middle. Yeah. Which I guess separates it from not. It keeps it so it doesn't close up around your. Which I will say. Yeah, that's um, nice. In the, in the army, we had unarmed um, combat training and basic training. And I did learn like you don't want to put pressure on those points in the neck right. because that's how you go lights out night night. And that's right. how you. Yeah, and that's what they, they train us to do. So like, I get it. Don't want pressure in that part of the Jeez, neck and then it's got a strap for... that can go around your back but i will say um you can buy this on meridian winds i'll put a link in the show notes yeah. and it says starting at 50 dollars up to 240 yeah. and here's the thing i entered the parameters the size the model with and without the little tail back yeah. support thingy and no matter what i entered i couldn't get it for under like 200 dollars. so yeah. i don't know where this 50 dollars coming from yeah i was gonna ask i tried I like, every wow, variable 50 bucks no wow, that's these not are bad. like 200 dollars next steps and i'm sure it's Fine. Oh, the leather is phenomenal. It's they're so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I have one. I have one on loan that I've been trying out. Yeah, you like yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Except I don't like the. Oh, they're gonna be listening. I don't like the thing that goes like from the back of the neck strap around the side and hooks on yeah. around the front. It just I don't like something that like goes around me. Right. And like like can, makes me feel like constricted or something while I'm playing. Plus, right. it looks a little goofy, and I, I kind of care about That's that. That's where I'm the going. The leather is gorgeous, it does, though. It does look like 
beautiful handcrafted. Yeah, it is really beautiful. Leather. But here's my problem with my my Alta cases. I have that Walt Johnson yep. case where there's no space, so I can't even. You can't even fit ten reeds, as we talked about. I yeah. can't even fit ten reeds. How am I going to fit a big <laughs> neck strap? I could fit it in my soprano case. Right. And this is the other thing: you have to have your neck strap in your case because otherwise you'll get to a gig and you won't have a neck strap, right? Yeah. So. I would have to have two of them, one for my alto and one for my soprano. Yeah. I can't afford that. I'm a musician. And I know, you know, (laughs) and if you're doing this in like your, I I just have to admit, I've never put in an extra but they're like, I can't breathe. There's too much pressure on my windpipe because, you know, like once again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure I know where my windpipe is. I have not had a problem with that. Nope. But then again, yeah, I'm built like George Costanza, so I don't have a problem with like neck weight. Um, And aesthetically, these are just getting. I think the, most of these things are, and you're free to disagree. I think these things are hideous. I think part of the reason I love this axe one is um, it looks really good when you're wearing a suit and tie. Yeah. Um, and these things, like when you have that little trapeze bar. Yeah. You know, do you do you put your tie above it and underneath? It do you looks weave a little goofy, probably think, under yeah. it. But anyway, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, think, I'm with you. Just kind of shorten the strings. Yeah. A lot of times with students, I have to shorten. If you have that string style yeah. uh, neck strap, which I like those because they're they're. Light. Um, you have to shorten it because they make them. I think they make them for alto and tenor, and so they're too right. long when the kids are playing. It, they have it like the thing, the little adjuster things right up against their throat. Yeah, you it's can like adjust the you strings. can just shorten yeah. the strings so that, like that that thing could be down a little farther. Then, I love the old school Rico, which has a little bit of uh, a nylon firm strap and then cord string. Yeah. Here's the thing, because these these contraptions, these breathtaking and the Van Doren complete support exoskeletal system and the sax holder look even if you could manage to work in a tie you are not gonna be able to see a good tie clip or tie bar right and then it's at the same latitude as a good pocket square which right. is just gonna draw the eye away right. and i'm thinking well and think about women's clothing then we have these you know a beautiful nice dress that you've paid right. a lot of money for and you've tried to make yourself look really good and, and then you, put you this have this thing on this ridley's like... exoskeleton from the movie <laughs> aliens <laughs> Exactly. Where yeah, where it has everything except the flashing warning lights as you fight an alien on a Starcraft with these things. You know, everybody who makes and sells these things is gonna hate us. I don't care. Okay. Here's the thing, and this is where we're going. Starting next we're, month, we're, we've uh, Sue and I've talked. We're just we trying a, to be honest. We've made an honest and a cool decision, which is why we'll announce next month our, our, our intention to not take any kind of corporate sponsorship, so we can yeah. continue to make fun of stuff. <laughs> yes. And Sue will defend what's good. I'm gonna make fun of it because I'm an ass. But. Here's the thing. If you do have neck or shoulder problems, and now where I will not be smart, oh, yeah. I've yeah. known two saxophonists that have had neck problems yeah. that were both practice aholics that practice well, six, eight hours. Well, that's another subject we could talk about, right? right? Let's not go there I now. I think for the average yeah. person, I think a normal neck strap is just fine. I don't yeah. think for the young player, I don't think you need to worry about this. It's not going to make me play any better. I have never had any discomfort when the neck strap, not saying no one has. I'm not no, saying No, lots of people have, but, yeah. you, know, you know, could we just make... You, an understanding between everybody. Like, let's just understand that if you are uncomfortable mm-hmm. or hurting while you're practicing anywhere, stop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're hurting from sitting in a chair or hurting from standing or hurting your hands or your lip or anything, stop. just stop. It should, if, if it hurts, Go you're doing stretch, something wrong. You're doing something wrong. It should not hurt. Right. I it feel the same way. Hurt. Yeah. Um, so here's <clears throat> Wally's pro tip for the next yeah. step that, because think of number one, go on eBay and just buy regular Legos. And number two, I know if right? you're having issues, I found nothing more comfortable than the old school harness that yeah, goes around your shoulders. It takes a few seconds more to put it on, Yeah. but it easily will fit in the case because it folds up because yeah, there's yeah. no hard parts. It will take the weight and put it in the exact right places. It creates a crisscross in your back. It will latch on. It will fit all horns. And the BG, which is very well made, which yeah. I use if on larger horns, right. it's $37. Yeah. And here's the other good thing. It hides perfectly under most clothing for gentlemen, for ladies. Right. It's different. Yeah, it's a little different. And yeah. then the you can still wear a tie. Yeah. You still have a very classy um, vintage a silver sterling tie clip or tie bar. Are we going to sell those on the side? Uh, no, but <laughs> I think kidding. as a gentleman... <laughs> Look, why else would I play the saxophone if it's not to look good while you're right. doing it? And that's important <laughs> to me. So I'm going to say my favorite, and I'm not a BG artist or endorser in any way. I think their harness is great. It's $37. If you have neck pain or whatever. If not, just you get know what's kind of fun? String. Yeah. So my neck strap is a BG, and it's the one that has the leather around the neck with lined with, it's like terry or some yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it has the string and it's very, you don't really notice it too much. And I had, I did have to shorten the string so I didn't have to adjust it way up to my throat. Right. 
But yeah, the BG products are really great. They are great. So that's yep. my rant. Um, yep. Instead of talking about a new product, I just want to talk about that there's too many new products. And I do use the very simple Van Doren strap with the little V thing that you don't you, like, you like on my on my soprano sax because so, it's lighter, so I don't need the the cushion and the padding. But it, they, you know, they gave it to me, and I'm like, oh, that's cute, so I use it. Well, it's good. Yeah, and it's good. Okay, so that's the. <laughs> We're not going to agree on That's this. what we use, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. that, so, use what you like. But I do plead to to the younger players or someone, you don't need a fancy neck strap unless you you're having pain. It. But then even yeah. before then, look at other things before you look at neck strap. And yeah. manufacturers, please quit, please quit making new neck straps. I don't want to have to keep on top of it. <laughs> and, I, and I'm certainly not going to review it. I thought about reviewing a neck strap, and I was like, I just, no. I don't have it in me. Like, no. I watched a couple of reviews, and then I so appreciated the time and effort they put, and then I, then I lost So in the studio this week, we're talking about practicing and we're talking about how to overcome specific technical problems, the kind of things Ah. that, um, well, could cause pain. (laughs) Right. Um, So if you're causing pain, like, well, maybe I just need a better neck strap that I can't play this lick. Um, How we overcome those problems where we have a piece, uh, we're transcribing some Sonny's dead. You know, he's playing Cherokee 300. We're playing that new Sonata and there's just a lick that we cannot get. We're banging ahead against the wall. So we're going to talk about some strategies to overcome that. Yeah. And one that I learned early on that we've talked about, and it may be called different things. I think of it or call it rhythmic hacking, where you... I like that. So you have the run of 16th notes, you can't play it. So what you do is first step... So what all we're doing is kind of getting our brain out of the way, our conscious part of the brain, and allowing that part of the brain that just does the kinesthetic memory to kind of take over. Yeah. So the strategy is this, and we've all, you've used this in your teaching as well. For sure. Yeah. I know. So you play it first, and this is just one way that I really like. So whatever that it is, that one eanda, two eanda, three eanda, four eanda, first do it at half tempo. One and two and three and four and. Let it get in your inner ear. Relax. Relax the next, relax the shoulders. Don't just, worry that it's one yeah, quarter the final stress. tempo. It does. Don't picture not that frothing mad teacher matter. that's coming next week <laughs> or that concert. Relax and enjoy the sensation of playing the saxophone and think of how lucky we are, yes, how good we go. look playing it. <laughs> then what you do is once you can very relax, play it at half tempo or half of what you're practicing. Even if it's not up to tempo. And honestly, there are some sunny stit transcriptions, even a half tempo. You're, it's too fast. You're yeah. right? a quarter tempo, so maybe. Then what you Wherever do you, you have to go. Yeah. yeah. Then after that, you goof with the rhythm and you create a doubly dotted 16th rhythm or 32nd rhythm, where then you da, 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 da. You play the rhythm like that. And then you reverse it da, 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 da. Da, da. And it's then kind of fun, actually. It is. Because you you, your success, like, it's yeah. your bridge from success. It sounds like a Scottish nap too. Do you and a French that? overture. And then, yeah, it's, it's a... <laughs> so you do it like that, and it feels completely different. And it's, and it's putting the interval... Uh, what's the word? I'm like a diminution in different places each time. Yeah. And then I like to trick the brain a little further. And then I do the whole thing and da, 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 da. Do it in triplets. Do it in triplets. Even yeah. though it's in a, it could be you know sixteenth notes, right. and then it completely, and the phrasing goes weird, and everything goes weird, and then start to go back to the half tempo, and then slowly return to the original tempo, up this, and then slowly bump it up to speed. And I find that rhythmic hacking technique, as I don't know fully the science behind it, but I find it has worked wonders in getting over those roadblocks, those licks that you just want to take your saxophone and throw it against the wall. Yeah. The the bad news and the good news is it is the shortcut. Yeah. People say, what's the, you know, what's the trick for learning technique? I said, well, you're not going to like the answer, but this is it. This is the trick. Be better, Johnny. (laughs) But those, those, the rhythmic hacking, I like that, that term actually. Yeah. And you can do da, 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 da. Oh, I've not done that one. Da, da, da. So you do like da, da, and then da, da. The thing is, why I think it works is that when you go da, 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 da. You have two fast notes, and then you get a little break. Yeah. But also, you your ear can hear Still hear the, the intervals. And then when you do da-da-da-da, you get three fast notes in a row. It's kind of like going da-da-da, yeah. da-da-da, da-da-da, right? Yeah. And somehow, the brain gets a little break. So three fast notes, my fingers can do that, and then ooh, I get a little break. Three fast notes, I could get a little mm-hmm. break, or two fast notes. And also, your ear is catching really what the notes are. How many times have you played a fast lick, and you realize... You're just you're hearing the notes as you put the buttons down, but you don't right. anticipate them. You can hear that in great performers. <clears throat> you can hear the people that have that clear audio picture of what they're going to play before they play it. Yep. And those who are hearing it as their fingers are catching up. 
you are a hundred percent, you're a thousand percent right. Yeah. So if you can hear it and if you've got a pretty good ear, which Mm -hmm. actually, if you're playing music for years and years and years, you do, whether you believe it or not. And if you've done any transcribing or playing by ear, then I think part of how you get the technique to work is you're actually kind of sort of a little bit playing by ear while you're reading. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, if you pay the dues to learn your licks like that, that's just going to help so much. And sometimes it doesn't seem like the lick got any better. Right. But if you just leave it at da dum mm-hmm. da da or dum da da dum, play it one more time, da 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 da, and then leave it, leave yeah. it, leave it, leave it, go on to another lick, come back in a day, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised because our brains are smarter than we think they are. Yeah. And sometimes it takes <clears throat> time to really grow and let these things. Yeah. So don't like wait till the day before your gig. <laughs> <laughs> I did the rhythmic hacking and I still failed my recital. Yeah. Yeah, and um, for jazz players, I know a lot of jazz players that, that can play fast, but they're always in pain, and it always looks like they're ex- they're experiencing gastric distress while they're playing. They have a <laughs> I know what tough you mean. face, their fingers <laughs> are flying, and you think, like, is their horn in disrepair? It's noisy. And I think, so as you're learning language and bebop language, when you're transcribing, take away the articulation and the rhythmic nuance of, of bebop or these licks and just do this in a fluid la, da, 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 yeah. do the rhythmic hacking then go back in and add the articulation with a good clean relaxed technique um and then we can actually add that relaxation where it doesn't look like a bad trip to chipotle every time <laughs> you play and i see that a lot in jazz yeah, players that it's so much yeah stress they're it's so fighting and, and something that doesn't always serve the music you know we could, should be be able to play fast and relax yeah well you get that in classical too of course oh, of course. really stressed out oh yeah we're, i feel like that sometimes when i'm playing right we're like you know the the middle section of the first movement of the american chariot yes it's fast it shouldn't sound frantic <laughs> right it's, there's a nonchalance a beauty yeah, to it but right. it sounds like you know you're you're finding something. You got to know it really well right. to get to that effortless sounding playing. Effortless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And that's what we yeah. should strive for. Yeah. So the rhythmic hacking, if Love you have it. any questions, email me, Wally at GetCitySax.com, and I'm happy to expand upon that further. Um, yeah, and come up with your own ways and as many different ways you can think of, yeah. you know, to to approach these these uh, technical passages and just mix it up. Make up yeah. your own game. Absolutely. And if you're not having fun, what's the point? Because right. you know, it's not like we're making huge dollar amounts. It's not like yeah, if I it's just gonna get, be fun. It has to be fun. Otherwise, go sell rental properties. Because when you can play that lick, how fun is that? A lot, a lot right? of fun. And the harder the lick, and when you can play it, the more sense of satisfaction yep. there is. <laughs> and I can't reiterate your point enough. You've got to give it time. You give it time. You cannot rush great technique. Just yep. like building muscle or whatever. You don't, you don't, don't go to the gym. play the wrong note. Notes, do not go so fast yeah. that you play the wrong notes because then you have to spend your life erasing that muscle memory. Yeah, and hearing it wrong. That's a bummer. And that is a big bummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you'll just... And Been then, there. And then you'll, then you'll get, you know, and more stress, you get a performance injury. Oof, and then you have yeah. to buy a $200 extra. <laughs> yeah, it cost you, man. So you had a strategy. That I'm, I don't know anything about this. I'm fascinated to learn... Um, Pyramid? Yeah, it's 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 really related to okay. this. So it's just a kind of was an interesting point that Doug O'Connor made at the Region 7 conference. He did a master class and he was telling this student, well, think about um, building a foundation for your technique that's more like a pyramid and less like the Washington Monument that, you know, is not very grounded, even though somehow the thing doesn't tip over. So I guess it's okay. (laughs) I don't don't stand under it. I don't trust it. (laughs) What he said is, you know, try to come up with as many different strategies for learning technique as possible so that you are absolutely unflappable. And he said when, when somebody comes in for a lesson, for example, you know, he might play something else while the person's playing a technical passage to see, can you still play it when somebody's messing around playing something else? Can you, and the hardest thing he said is when somebody's playing the same thing right next to you, but they're kind of screwing it up and he'll do that with students or, you know, sometimes this might be a little weird, but sometimes when I'm practicing, um, I'll put the radio on and I'll have like, you know, I'll have the radio going in the background, not really loud. And if I'm, if I'm playing through reads, it's usually like news talk show kind of thing. Right. And if I'm playing through my reads, you know, my 10 reads that I'm breaking yes. in, you know, there's time in between when I'm like taking a read off and putting the next read on when I can kind of listen to what's going on. But then while I'm play- playing, I can't hear it in any way. Right. I'm trying to focus on what I'm doing. But sometimes I think that it, I mean, it's kind of cause it's, I like to have that noise in the background. I don't always do this, but, um, I no, think no, I'm pretty sure Sue, the, the Lindroth, 
piece. While I had it on sometimes, I did. But, but when I'm playing, you know, I'm I'm somehow focusing on what I'm doing while there's some yeah. noise going on. And did you ever notice the first Wait, time did you, you just <laughs> call the Chompy String Quartet noise going on? No, oh, the, radio. the radio. Gotcha. I got you. <laughs> Although some of the stuff they did was pretty noisy. <laughs> we won't tell them that. No, no but anyway, did you ever notice the first time you get together with piano? When you're doing a piece with with sax, for saxophone and piano, the first time you get together with your pianist and you think, I've got this piece down, I've got all my cues in, and I've I mean, I've really learned my technique because I never want to mess up when I get together with my right. pianist, especially because you know who my pianist is. Yeah. And I she's get together. She's scary. She is scary because she's just so good. And so we get together and I've really prepared so I'm not messing up any licks at all. And I get there, I always mess up a bunch of licks and I'll yeah, make yeah. it an early entrance. And it's because part of your brain is not any longer listening to what you're doing. It's no. listening to the piano and trying to coordinate. And so as soon as there's something else going on, you know, yeah, you find out which places you don't know well enough, and you go home and you do the rhythmic hacking again right. on the licks that you've already done it on 10 right. times. Bef- you got to do it again. And we, we <laughs> talked about before, like, the importance of getting out there and playing in front, playing live more often. Yes. Because there's some things that will not be illuminated until you go out and play. I have a mentor who talks about like you're not really going to be a great jazz improviser or you know great jazz musician until you play a lot live and then you start to hear oh man I play that like yeah. a lot oh I really get stuck on this language yeah and then after an hour of playing live three or four dates in a row you realize like I'm tired of hearing me <laughs> yeah I need to I need to you know expand my vocabulary I need to work on my this and the other playing live yeah yep. it illuminates these these problems I love that analogy of so a much. of a of a pyramid versus the Washington Isn't that Monument. Good? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where there's this big foundation of techniques. Yeah, and, so if you're solidity. if you're just playing slowly and that's the only strategy you have for learning a lick, that's kind of like the Washington Monument. You're building it all on a little tiny pedestal. Right. But you know, if you're doing the rhythmic hacking and all like four or five different kinds yeah. of rhythmic hacking, and then you know, Joe Murphy suggested, I don't know if this actually helps. I do it occasionally. He suggested playing licks backwards. I'm not smart enough to do that. It would take me three hours to figure it out, and by that time, yeah, it's time to make dinner, and that's, that's not going to happen for me. I don't know if it actually helps, but I try it every once in a while because it's just another thing to try. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Put the radio on and see if you can still play your licks while you know NPR is telling you I... all the horrible things that are happening in the world. <laughs> oh, that got depressing. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm not going to play licks backwards. I don't. Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay then. Well, maybe it does work if you if, it, if you can play licks backwards, and it does work for you. Um, let me know. Or, or try memorizing or any anything you can come up for right. learning learning technique. And that's sort of this analogy of a pyramid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you do do retrograde strategies. bebop lines, remember, oh, you also have to reverse the articulation pattern. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. I don't know if that will work or not. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it, kids. You're going to hurt yourself. So let us know. Write us or comment on um, on social media. Let us know what is. how do you overcome these really tough problems. Yeah. And I'm open I, to ideas. One more little rant. I think one of the big problems with overcoming these problems is that we, especially those of those gone to college, you have the week-to-week lesson model and the conservatory model in yeah. schools of music, which we'll talk about later in the episode. And you have to come up with something to show your teacher in a week. And I think we end up trying to learn stuff too quickly. That's probably Especially in the saxophone. Yeah. I mm-hmm. When I was going through school, I had these teachers like, learn this piece, learn mm-hmm. this movement, bring in this movement. And we would yeah. just learn tons of stuff. Yeah. Where these world-class violinists may spend a semester working on the Sibelius Concerto. Right. Where they're not expected to just regurgitate the whole thing from week yeah. to week. And so they have time to let that technique kind of germinate. And I wish, I, I don't have the right answer because I understand not playing the same thing every week in a lesson. But at the same time, I think a lot of players, and I'm a slow learner. I, I'm not saying mm. I'm a bad musician or a bad performer. Right. I don't learn things quickly. That's well, a lot of things in life. Mm. But I, I, I feel I have at least average technique. I think I have pretty good technique for where I am in, in my life and my career. It, I don't like learning things quickly. It takes me time it's to really, really get that and, and relax. Mm. And I will say I have a mentor of mine said, man, you're really relaxed when you improvise. And I think it's because I'm not trying to learn 300 tunes right. in a week. And I do practice relaxed. You know what's interesting? I think back to pieces I learned, especially as an undergrad. And when I go back and try to play them, I have to clean up so much yep. really, really messy technique. When I took the Creston Sonata up again once I was teaching, because my students kept saying, hey, you never play anything that that we could play, because I was playing a lot of really right. edgy contemporary music, which was 
fun and great and they loved it. But they said, could you just like put a piece on a recital when you do a faculty recital that we could play? And so I thought, oh, okay. And well, the Crescent Sonata is a really mm. good piece. I couldn't even believe the sloppy technique I had to go back and do triage on because I had learned it too quickly you know, as an undergrad. So what I do in my teaching is the students should play a new etude or two, mm -hmm. depending on their level and what they can handle every week. But the pieces we spend a pretty long time I on. I love that. So they get the experience of I have to learn this hard thing in the week, but the we don't learn crappy technique on the repertoire. This, yes, we don't get used to hearing ourselves playing the best of our music. Yeah. Poorly. Right. And rushed and trying and to I, bump it up to tempo to make a teacher happy yep. when the technique is not ready. Right. We can do that on Fairling Etudes because those aren't great music. And we can pick a page. Just do a page. Just yeah. do a page because we can dig into details if yeah. the student's done the homework. And we can work at half tempo. I'm good with that. I, yep. I love that approach. Yay. Yeah. 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 And the world's greatest performers would kind of sign off to that. you know, Because they don't, you know, Hilary Hahn, when she was at the Curtis... Conservatory, you know, the Curtis Institute was not learning, bringing in next week. All right, well, you learned Sibelius this week. Let's bring in the... Right. Know, bring yeah. in this next week. They really would take time with these masterworks. Well, I used to feel bad about this because I'd get to the end of the semester and my students, students would have learned like a piece or two, possibly three. And I thought, whoa, they're not going to get through very many pieces. But they played every single piece with the accompaniment, if it had right. accompaniment, and they played them well. So I love that. Yay. Take your time, kids. Yep. And old people. And I'm, I'm gonna future Wally. This is past Wally. Don't play junky music. Either. Play. Take your time, man. <laughs> you're you're good enough. You're smart yeah. enough. Your technique will get there, Wally. Okay, so I'm gonna listen yep. to them myself later. There you go. In my talk. Yep. So there you go. Now, <laughs> okay, Wally. What's so next? So good technique. Next, we talk about. So we've been reviewing new CDs and new recordings coming out. Yep. CDs. Whatever. We're not like I don't even have a disc player anymore. Um, <laughs> and we were talking that we want to start talking not only about new CDs but talking about. Some of these recordings that we love, that we think are staples, that especially in the classical world, there's no like, you know, we don't have kind of blue for classical saxophone. We don't have not really. Um, you know, we don't have these things. But we, there are some really great recordings that maybe everyone doesn't know about. So let's talk about some of our favorite classical saxophone recordings. These landmarks that really influence stuff, and we think everyone needs to know. And so I decided, Sue, I've got. Did you choose one? I chose one, All and right. I would not tell her. Yep. in advance because I said I want to surprise you and see if you know it <laughs> so hold on I'm going to play a little bit and it has it's minimalist heavy it's got a lot of I'm not a huge fan of a lot of modern academic music I'll be honest I'm grumpy I know that about you Wally yes but I love <laughs> minimalism Wally Brain handle minimalism it good me like I love minimalism in modern and I think some of the greatest current new music composers are really doing neat things with minimalism and I'm talking like late 20. 20th century even sure. is new. Yeah, yeah. But here's um, play a little bit of something that I think from our classical recording library is just about as good as it gets. Wow, Wally, you're yeah. going to make me cry. No, no, I did not tell you I was doing this because I was thinking about, <laughs> all right, so look, you know, our heroes, um, Don Senta has an old LP that I adore. Oh, Jean yes. Rousseau's got some great records. Oh, but yeah. I thought one that really connected with me and really kind of wowed me in a lot of levels is um, Ponder Nothing. Uh, and it's your CD from oh 2002. Gosh. She's blushing. She had no idea I was going to do this. <laughs> I had no idea. Wally, that's my first quote-unquote solo CD. It's fantastic. Uh, and there's some really great I works on there. I still love that disc. And yeah. I do want to talk about it because oh, that's so even, fun. You are even the if, sweetest. For nothing else, but for the one recording of Steve Reich, and I did the research because I'm now this is not recording, he prefers <laughs> Reich right. because his father, who was of German descent, yeah. obviously, uh, Germany wasn't terribly popular around that time that he came to the United States. Mm. And so they prefer the more Anglo pronunciation yeah, of Reich, Reich to sound like. So that's Reich. how he pronounces it. It's the third Reich and Steve Yeah, Reich. it's not a K. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know the CH in German, if you put your tongue between your molars and say like that, yeah. that's the more, well, I lived in Austria for a while, so yeah. I'm, I, I, but I'm still American, so I like, if there's a German-speaking person out there, I'll call in and say, oh my God, that's completely wrong, but yeah, Steve yeah. Reich. So yeah. you recorded on this amazing, and the CD's called Ponder Nothing, and there's yeah. a lot of great composers and some really great minimalist works on there. Yeah. You recorded Steve 
Steve Reich's Reich. yeah, yeah, you say it. Yeah. New York Counterpoint. Yeah. And tell us about that experience, like uh, how you oh went about God. that, how you chose it. I think that's, of our classical recorded literature, it's one of my favorite things that have been done. And I always, love it. I yeah, didn't tell you I was going to talk about this. No, but, uh, it's probably my claim to fame is my arrangement of Steve Reich's uh, New York Counterpoint. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, there's a funny story behind it, you know. So I was living in Vienna. Uh-huh. Um, I lived in Vienna from, I can't even remember the dates. Well, you know what? At that that time when I, anyway, it doesn't matter. I was living in Vienna as a member of the Vienna Saxophone Quartet. I'm going to say it was 1995 to 1998 or something like that. But anyway, so Steve Reich was in Vienna for Wien Modern, which is this amazing modern music festival Mm -hmm. where they did the premiere performance of his video opera together with his wife, Beryl um, Carole, The Cave. So Mark... Engelbretson and I were, were married at that time and living in Vienna, both in the Vienna Saxophone Quartet, got to attend the premiere performance of Steve Reich's The Cave oh, cool. in Vienna in this awesome space. It was amazing. So after the performance, um, we wanted to go and talk to Steve Reich and just introduce ourselves. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to him or get a phone number or contact information and be able to talk to him because I really loved his music. And yeah. I wanted to ask him if there is any piece that he thought could be arranged for saxophones or, I mean, I wanted to ask him if he would write something for saxophone, but I knew he'd be... I just asked if I could smell him. Booked um, for decades. He's such a monument of he, music. Yeah, so, you know, him. after the concert, we go, and there's this huge line of people who yeah. want to talk to Steve Reich and shake his hand, and I see this woman standing not too far away from him, and I know that that's Beryl Carole, and that's his wife, and, of course, nobody knows who she is, and she had, like, done awesome video work for this thing. I mean, the videos were totally compelling. Right. And so I walked up to her, introduced myself and said, well, you know, I'd like to talk to Steve about, you know, either arranging a piece or having him write a piece. And she said, oh, okay. And so she scribbled his telephone number on a little slip of paper and handed it to me. Nice. And so I called him up. <laughs> and um, I think we had a, an exchange by fax back in the days. So oh, I love free it. Free email. And he said, well, the only piece he had that he thought might work would be New York Counterpoint. Yeah. And he'd have his publisher send me a copy of the score and I could give it a shot. And so I made the arrangement. And so I made the arrangement to work for soprano, alto, tenor, Barry. And then, because it's it, there are twelve different parts. The original, mm-hmm. I think it's twelve. So a, a solo clarinet and eleven parts, or maybe it's a solo clarinet and ten parts. I can't remember. But I wanted to do a version since I was in the Vienna Saxophone Quartet mm-hmm. that took the most interesting stuff and put it on soprano, alto, tenor, Barry, and then everything else I just put on whatever saxophone made the most sense to make a beautiful sound because that was going to be recorded, right. and we were going to play as saxophone quartet with all the other parts on a, well, CD, now it's like a file on your computer or something like that. So that's the version that I made. And then from that, I made a version for soprano sax solo with everything else just on a CD. So I didn't make a version that's SATB, 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 you know, so it's a really weird ensemble. It's a lot of sopranos. So I put everything in really good ranges for the the saxophone. So that's why it sounds so... So bright and brilliant. The original is a whole bunch of B-flat clarinets right. and a couple of bass clarinets. So there's none of this middle. So that's that's why the ensemble, if you try to do the live version of my arrangement, it's weird because it's a lot of sopranos. It's like, whoa, so many sopranos. But it's such a great piece, and I did not change a single note from the original. It's striking. Yeah, and it just works great. So recording it, it's tough. Where I did mean, you record really this? really tough. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't remember where I recorded that version. The Vienna Saxophone Quartet recorded it in a studio in Vienna. This one, I think, was recorded in Evanston, Illinois, while I was a doctoral student. Okay. Yeah. It is so gorgeous. It's such yeah. a good recording. It's a great piece. And we we throw around a lot in the saxophone world, and I'll get a lot of hate mail. I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I reached this point where, well, as we'll talk about in a second, I'm done caring about towing the party line. I think right. our party line is a little too strict, a little too fluffy. Everything's great. I think yeah. when I was going out and getting my degrees, I had professors tell me, this is important. This is good. You need to know this music. And I disagreed. I don't think 
some of what we think are as important. It doesn't speak to me. I don't gotcha. care. Steve, Steve Reich, I think, is just this, you know, 500 years from now, I think we're going to look back and think in the 20th, 21st century, that's an important yeah, it's composer masterful. who just wrote such great music. And your recording of this is just a pleasure to listen to. I think it stretches wow. the boundaries of great saxophone playing, of that vision of what the saxophone aesthetic can do in certain contexts. And so that is my recording of the must-have when you're building your classical library. And jazz been. players as well. So You you are the best. No, you're <laughs> the best. And I'm, all right, I'm done being sincere. Okay. <laughs> Legos. What's the problem Legos. with Legos? What's yeah, because I thought we have to start, and I'm going to start with, I did not tell my co-host. I thought, I was, I, you probably thought I was going to bring in a hem key recording, didn't you? I didn't know. I thought, no, I thought like Marcel Mule or yeah. something, because there's so but, many interesting And on the CD, there's also, there's also the, the some Chelsea, kind of a oh, lesser-known yeah. fr- uh, French composer, but minimalist, a newer minimalist. And Yeah, so yeah, Giacinto Chelsea, um, Italian composer. Oh, Italian, so excuse close, me, of course. No, but I wrote my dissertation on his saxophone music, okay. so he's on there. And uh, Ben Johnston's piece, Ponder Nothing, Which is the title track. Originally even, for clarinet, so a great piece. There's a great, piece great by piece. your husband on there. Yeah, Mark Engerbetson's like, piece is on there. You got to. Well, yeah, yeah and it's a good piece. It is. It gets played a lot. It really does. <laughs> yeah, it does. She yeah. Sings, She Screams is the one that's on yeah. there. Yeah, that's a really fun so piece. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes. This is something you need to have in your Aww. library. Even jazz players... It's this is a recording that I really enjoy listening for the sake of listening, and it's I don't know I was actually I was listening to it I was looking at over Lake um, Jeanette, oh, uh, Lake near us, and it was yeah. just beautiful. And I was listening to it like this was a nice moment in my life listening Aww. again to my co-host's beautiful recording. So check it out. Yeah, I can actually still listen to that one. Yeah, <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> no, because I don't listen to my old recordings. So, um. In the working pro section. Yes. I wanted to back up and ask a question even before we get to the stage of being a working pro. Okay. And so I got in a little bit of trouble with a couple of people. <laughs> I posted a joke oh, on social media. Oh, that's the first time ever, Wally. First, yeah, I never <laughs> ruffle feathers. You're so it's, funny. Well, my doctoral minor was devil's advocacy. <laughs> and I like... And you aced it. <laughs> you know, and I find... Whenever 99 people in a room start like, yes, this is what we should be doing, my brain, defective mm. it is like, should we? Really? I think it's good that somebody's asking the question. Right, because I've never heard, and so it stems from, the question is, should I or my student major in music? Should we go get a music degree? And we're going to talk about this a little bit, and this will be an ongoing thing, of course, because we can't solve this in the the next eight minutes. Um, But my problem is, and I teach a career development course with people that I get them at the end of their performance degree. It's not education majors. I teach music performance majors in their fourth year, usually final semester. Gotcha. And these are cool kids. Awesome. Um, But they've been run through the ringer, and their life goals and expectations have changed. They start to see the running on the wall. Yeah. Um, And my problem, the reason I want to be a little bit of a voice of... Or at least a, a flying the ointment is anytime I've ever heard anyone say I got accepted to the University of Bumble uh, in a performance degree, and everyone comes out of the woodwork to congratulate them. Oh, yeah. you're getting a degree in music performance. You're going to go places. Everything's going to be great. Good for you. No one ever says it's not a good idea. <laughs> no one ever says like, man, I don't recommend that degree because if you get accepted, obviously you're something special. The world is your oyster because yeah. no one ever thought a degree in music would be fun. So there certainly won't be competition for that. <laughs> and universities don't don't have to make payroll and they don't have to maintain certain numbers. To, yeah. But so I want to be a little bit of a fly in the ointment and do some co- point counterpoint that should our students get a music degree? Obviously, you can tell from the tone of my voice where I fall on this sure. for most people. So what do you think? When you, so you teach some, some high school students as well, some great I ones do. that go yes. on to do good things. How do you think about it? Like, should they get a music degree? And if you're already enrolled in a music degree, just go ahead and switch off now. <laughs> Turn on Netflix. And if you haven't watched uh, The Umbrella Academy, well, it's very okay, good. Okay, so I want to start by saying that you should pursue whatever you love. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just start with that, you know, because if you love music and you want to study music, then sure. go study music. Um, I think where we get into trouble is where we think, okay, I'm going to get a degree in saxophone performance. And that means I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to be rich and famous as a saxophone performer. I think that's the non sequitur. We need to or disabuse even, ourselves. Or of even earlier. rich and famous that I will be employed. Well, yeah, that I'll a, be able to find work, period. Yeah, yeah forget very, I'm rich, not going to yeah. name this person, but a very well-known um, concert saxophonist who got a degree from a very good place that plays in a very reputable chamber ensemble uh, just sent me a message along these lines. Like, you ever notice when someone wins a full-time job on saxophone, being in a military band or gets a tenure-track position, not, yeah. not a part-time, a tenure-track job, one of the very few that are open, yeah. it's like they won the Oscar. 
you know, well, the, yeah. the amount of outpouring and I can't believe it. I want to thank the Academy. I want to thank my parents, and my first music teacher. And, you know, anywhere in a lot of other fields, you get a full-time job that has yeah. health insurance and some vacation time. It's right. like, oh, good for you. In our line of work, if you get a full-time job, where it's you get like you won the lottery. It's like you won the lottery. Yeah. And actually, people who have those jobs and the ones who are honest about it will tell you, I feel like I won the lottery. The smart ones. Because there were 200 people who were also qualified mm-hmm. who did not win that lottery. So yeah. the odds are better than the lottery, actually. Yeah, that's but true. it's but it's like your but, life and your job and your yeah, career. Yeah. yeah. yeah but but you, I mean, <laughs> so if I had done my undergrad in saxophone performance, I would have counted on because my background I'm from or the person I am or how I see the world, I don't know. I would have counted on having to do something else right. to pay my bills and to make a living and I was okay with that. So I I did a double degree in saxophone performance and mathematics. That's amazing. And I naturally thought that I was going to end up doing something with math, and I did for a while. I worked in an insurance company in the actuarial department, um, and then you know I went back to grad school, actually in math, because I thought I was going to go and be a math professor. I was going to be a gigging math professor. How cool would that be? That, that was my plan. It adds up, Sue. And then I got get, get just it? some... Do you get it? I got some... <laughs> I see what you did there, Wally, yeah. But I got some really once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to go and play the saxophone and get yeah. paid to do it enough that I could live, you know, right. I wasn't getting rich, but yeah, I was 24. Who cares about that at that age? Right. Well, maybe some people do. And I always tell my students, if, if you, if you care about money and you care about having money, and if that's important to you to have stuff, do not count on, on making a living as a saxophone player. Right. You know, if you don't mind that you're going to have to maybe work in a music store, nothing wrong with that. Nope. Nothing wrong with that. Or, you know, get an office job or, I don't know, maybe do something really cool. I know a guy who's a, you know, high school science teacher and he's a fantastic saxophone player. Right. And so his job is science teacher by day and, you know, he's a gigging science and teacher. that's going to make for a happy life. Well, yeah, yeah. but, you know, if, if you really will be happy teaching private lessons, um, that's fine. I mean, there's a lot worse ways to make money and actually yeah. working, you're with people. I love working with my students. I yeah. love my students. I love their families. And, you know, you just have to be honest with yourself about what, what you're getting yourself well, in for. But you know yeah. that a music degree can can prepare you for, you know, graduate school and other subjects. So it's it's not, you know, it's not a terrible thing. It's just, I think that we we fool ourselves if we think we're going to get out and then, oh yeah, I'm going to like be famous playing concerts all over the world and have management and I'm going to be touring and making $10,000 per gig. No, that's not going to happen. Well, I think, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I'm coming from the place now where I teach a class literally called Entrepreneurship of the Performing Arts, where once you get the degree, if you don't get a full-time job, you're in what we call the gig economy. Yes. And in the United States, to our foreign listeners, bonjour, hello, um, annyeong, Um, (laughs) we, if you don't have a full-time job, you need to make a lot more money than you think because health insurance is incredibly expensive. Yep. And I want my students to be able to have vacation time. I want my students to be able to have children and take maternity leave. Yeah. And in the gig economy, it's nearly impossible. None of that's going to happen. And my feeling is if the professors that are accepting students to fill their rosters so they can enjoy a salary... Health insurance and vacation time, we should expect the same for our students, not send them into a gig economy that a lot of us would never accept that lifestyle for ourselves, or that aren't married to spouses that... And we don't want it for our kids. No, I get my health insurance through my spouse. Otherwise, I I would be in a a full-time job. And I think think we need to be more honest in higher ed, not us, you and I, because we're, you know... We're straight yeah. shooters. Well, but yeah, pretty much. I think, you know, in, in Europe, there's um, in video games, I'm going to bore you to tears, but there's some younger listeners who know what I'm talking about. In video games, you can buy what's called loot boxes, where you're playing mm-hmm. an online game where you shoot other little people online. <laughs> and you want a little dragon costume for your character. So you buy what's called a, you, you buy a loot box. You pay some real money for a virtual costume, but you don't get it. You get a possibility that you uh-huh. make it, you may pan out, you may get nothing, you may get a little health potion or something, or you may get that dragon costume. Uh-huh. But in Europe, they said, you know, this is basically kind of gambling, so we need to let the people know what are the odds. So in Europe, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, European listeners, and we have many European listeners, yeah. um, that they have to say, what are the odds of winning that little dragon costume? Right. Here's what I think. College professors, before they accept anyone into a performance degree on their door, they need to have a percentage of graduates that land full-time jobs. Or they need to be more honest of what the gig economy means for your future as a human being. Because until well, we have single-payer health care, in this country at least, I really cannot in good faith recommend 
And you can do other things with a degree, but it's yeah. it's trade school. It's designed to make you do very little but that. You practice a million hours. You sit in ensembles for a million hours. It's not a well-rounded education yeah. when we follow the conservatory model. Even at the University of Georgia, which is not a conservatory where I got a degree, it was conservatory model training, where, yes, I had to have a couple classes where they bemoaned, oh, you have to take a philosophy class. Sorry about that. Get back to practicing. Wow. You know, I didn't yeah, feel you know, so... my experience was so different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so my feeling is if it were a well-rounded education where you're getting a college degree, great. But it really is pseudo job training for jobs that don't exist, especially yeah. for saxophone. So, But you know that uh, employers love to hire musicians. If you know, if you have some skills or yeah. can learn some skills, because musicians do the good ones, which yeah. you know um, have discipline. That's and true. The, the ability to focus and concentrate, and yeah, see a task through to the end. So we we do have good skills, but of course, <laughs> we could yeah. Never mind. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> if going in like you say, eyes wide open, yeah. where I think it's a fifth. I think we need to take some responsibility as well. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I do have these students that get to their final semester of the music performance degree. They take my class and their eyes get really wide. Like, what and am like, I gonna do? And then some of was like, I guess I always knew this, Wally. I just never really thought about it. They have yeah. that magical thinking that something yeah. will work out. Um, yeah. But as this friend pointed out, like you know, when someone does land a full time job, these special military band jobs yeah. or that you know full time college job. Because part-time is kind of like a glorious hobby for a lot yeah. of people. Myself, I've yeah. lost money doing college teaching before. Oh, yeah. The the hours and versus yeah. pay is just lousy. So, yeah. yeah. This will be an ongoing conversation, but I did yeah. want to address that I'm a terrible yeah. person, and I don't think there needs to be a music performance degree for 90% of state universities. Um, send the hate mail. I'll okay. gladly receive it. You will it. get hate mail Sue on that. Sue <laughs> is much more thoughtful. I don't care. Yeah, I think there's, um, you know, if you if you go to college and you get an English degree, a lot of people stick their noses in the air up yeah. about that too. So, and I still but think an English degree is a good thing. Yeah, but at the same time, in an English degree, they don't spend, you don't spend four to five hours a day sitting in a room writing novels, pretending like you're going to be a novelist when you graduate. I think it's a little bit more of a well-rounded education. Yeah. Well, then maybe we need to make sure that our music students are getting a well-rounded education. I think yeah. I think more, maybe even more of a it. true liberal arts degree. Yeah. Yeah. I think if maybe. I had to do it over again, this is my final pro tip, and I promise I'll show it up. <laughs> it's all good. I would have gotten an arts admin degree and then huh. just paid for saxophone lessons. Interesting. Is what I would have done, yeah. and that way I could have like been more useful to a nonprofit. I would have learned more about marketing, uh, management, team building, yeah. things like that, and then still play and probably had more time because theory four was a nightmare. And yeah, I don't remember. Gotcha. I don't remember third species counterpoint. Well, let's. We're not going to go address the whole theory thing today. Okay, we'll do that another day because we'll get in big trouble if we start doing that. Let's dig into it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so there'll be ongoing conversation. But write us. Let us know. Do you regret your music degree or do you love it? Oh, do you do something? Yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, that would let be great know. to hear from. I think the it's a conversation it, that yeah. I want at least, and I'm happy to be the bad guy. Start having this conversation because I don't hear well, the naysaying. Yeah, other than the parents. honesty is 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 valuable. No. So Very I valuable. love music. I will do nothing else yeah. for this in my life because I'm miserable at other things. But I, I I do have an issue with the amount of recruitment going on for these performance degrees. Yeah. Now we have a question. Yeah. And this is really special. Yes. <laughs> the question is from Dr. Susan Fancher. Here, I have a question, dear listeners. So first, I wanted to just say that under the Working Pro, one thing I should have said is that I've learned this so many times over the years, but apparently I have a very bad memory. So when you agree to play a piece of music, or before you agree to play a piece of music, you maybe should see it first. Anyway. So I'm currently learning a piece of music, and it's lovely. Actually, there's a lot of really beautiful stuff in it. But it's got some trills in the altissimo. And some of them I can do, and they're just fine. But there's one in particular yeah. that I can't find a trick for. And I ask some very, very famous and well-known saxophonists who shall not be named at this time because they have failed to come up with a fingering for me. Shame them. Shame I them know. now. I'll no, ring the bell. I won't shame. do it. No, shame. shame. Okay, ding, we ding. just watched that last you week. You did? Oh! <laughs> Game of Thrones reference for those of you without a, for you music performance majors that don't can't afford HBO. <laughs> shut up. I'll shut up now. <laughs> so I have to do a trill from a altissimo G sharp to uh -huh. an A, and that's fine. So it's one, three, Four side C and I just lift the first finger. Yeah. No problem. And then immediately after that, with no rest in between, mm -hmm. I have to trill from that altissimo G sharp to a B altissimo. No. Nope. 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 I can't figure it out. So I could do that fingering for G sharp, one, three, four, side mm -hmm. C. That's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a really great G yeah. sharp. And I can add the high F sharp key, you know, C5, as Londex calls it. And I can get from a G sharp to B, but I can't really trill it. It goes, or something like that. I feel like I'm on car talk now. Hey, what's it sound what's like? like? Yeah. My, car, my carburetor is going, chicka, chicka, chicka. Yeah. yeah, and I tried that G sharp, and I tried, okay, if I lift one and put down the D palm key, I can go between a G sharp and B, but I can't do it fast. No. It's just like, uh, uh, yeah. it sounds like I'm yodeling up there in the altissimo, and you know yeah. that's not a good sound. So so, this, so if you yeah. have the answer, once again, we're talking G3. Yeah, G sharp 3. To B4. Yeah. G-sharp is that what it is? You got the right numbers there? One, so two, it's it's three. it's a it's altissimo, altissimo G sharp to altissimo B. B trill. Yeah. If so you know a the minor answer, third. And here's the thing. I have yeah. I've talked to two sponsors, not sponsors of the show, but two companies that I love. Yeah. That I'm not gonna get anyone to pay us, then we have to say good about it, but companies that I do like where we may do some giveaways. Oh and then I'm gonna badmouth well, them after the fact. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have um, um, a, a company that is going to give some product for a giveaway. So if you have the correct answer, we will send you, if you have the good fingering, and it turns out it works, and so you can record it, <laughs> we will send you a free set of Key Leaves Key Props. Wow. Um, and we're going to have more awesome giveaways that I'm going to give away. I'm going to talk about when we announce some cool stuff next month. Nice. Um, but if you have the answer. Now, here's Wally's answer. Okay. When you have an, a trill like that yeah. with no good solution, or you think it's going to be a solution that's going to be painful or take up too much of your time. Well, I'm already past the too right. much time, really. So, I what I say. do, and this is my pro tip, <laughs> is I will email or talk to the composer and say, Oh, I just wanted to show you, yeah, there's a trill from G sharp to B. I'm assuming it's a finale error or a transcription error. What you really uh, meant was this? a timbre trill yeah, on a B. I, I say, well, um, <laughs> so, obviously, there was, a, there was a computer error in the transposition. Blame the software. Allow them to blame the software. Like, what, did, what was this actually supposed to be? And I've done that a couple times with composers. Oh. And they're like, That's Oh, a pretty oh good of idea. course. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll go back and, and like, uh, This looks right, right? Wally, I'm like, there we go. Good on you, Evan. You did it right this time. Because I could play a, I could go from the G sharp to the B and then do like a half step or a timbre trill mm, on the you B, could. and it would sound really nice or instead you of could sounding like I'm passive aggressively shame the composer. And that's my pro tip. Can I do both? Yes, do that. But I. Oh, what you must have meant. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Okay. Got yeah. It. Like oh, oh um, I've seen this happen before. Finale when you print out the part. Finale. You can blame everything on finale. Yeah, yeah. But not the, let, give the composer an out. Right, let them sure. save face. Sure. You know, before, I'm up for that. Yeah. And then just give them a look like, I know you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you didn't know that wasn't possible. But you know, some glitch. listener, I mean, some listener is going to find a, a solution for me. I've had several solutions sent to me, but they never give those yeah. notes that I need for me. So. Anyway. All right, send it in. You'll there get you free go. stuff. And that is going to do it for this week. Yes. For the Saxophone Academy podcast. If you have Woo, questions time, or fingering you need to figure out, yes. email <laughs> us and let us know. Until then, Sue. Wally. Have a great week. You too. <laughs>